Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Serial Audio presents Pine Lakes, written by Chris Motts, performed for you by Joe Hempel. Episode 2 Chapter 2 What the hell is that? Ted asked. It looks like a flashlight, she replied. Someone's out there. Thank God, he shouted. Roll your window down. Hurry! Susan complied, cranking the handle as fast as she could. They couldn't risk losing the chance to let someone know where they were and what had happened. The window disappeared into the door with a thud. Hey, over here, Ted yelled. We're over here. He waited for a reply, but heard none. Do you think they heard me? I don't know, she said. Try the horn. Ted smiled and his eyes widened. He pressed on the horn, grinning as it brayed loudly into the silent forest. The light suddenly stopped moving and focused in their direction. I think they see us, he said. They know we're here. Then why isn't the light moving? They're just standing there. It's dark out here. Even with a flashlight, it's going to take time to find us. Ted reached out and hit the horn again, but nothing happened. He pounded harder, cursing under his breath. That quickly, the horn had died. He turned the knob for the interior light, but nothing happened. The fucking battery must have died, he grumbled. Wait, it's moving, Susan said, clapping her hands together happily. See? There, it's coming closer. Ted followed her pointing finger and watched as the light grew brighter. It disappeared behind thick brush, only to reappear a few feet to the left or right seconds later. He reached out and grabbed his wife by her chin, kissing her deeply. I knew it. I knew they'd find us, Susie. We're going to be home in time for breakfast. I hear voices, Susan exclaimed. Do you hear them? Ted cocked his head and listened, but heard nothing. Decades of loud music and rock concerts had given him moderate hearing loss, something that often irritated his wife and friends. In a crowd of people, Ted would need things repeated two or three times before understanding. In the cases where he still couldn't discern the voice from the noise, he'd nod anyway, often getting looks of confusion from friends who wanted more than yes and no answers. I can't hear anything, he said. What are they saying? I don't know. I can't make it out, but there's definitely several voices. Ted started shouting again, pounding on the steering wheel punching the roof of the car. Susan groaned and covered her ears. His voice was piercingly loud in the confines of the wrecked vehicle. If you keep that up, we're both going to be deaf, Susan joked. The light was closer now. A second one flicked on a few feet to the right. Oh, thank God, Ted shouted. He may have been unable to hear the voices, but the sounds of their approach were clear as day. 
heavy footfalls crashing through the overgrown brush, the rustling of tree limbs and snapping of dead branches. He listened to Susan's heavy breathing and smiled as relief flooded over him. Ted closed his eyes and felt his body grow heavy. Just for a few seconds, he thought, just to catch my breath. The adrenaline dump left him exhausted, and before he knew it, Ted was snoring lightly as Susan watched the lights get closer and closer. Ted sat up in bed, squinting and half-blind from the morning sun streaming through the windows. He covered his eyes with his forearm, yawned, and swung his bare feet onto the cool, wooden floor. Shaking his head, he went to the window and peeked into the driveway, watching sparrows dance around a worm they'd found in the yard. The barracuda sat along the curb, gleaming, covered in beaded drops of water. The neighbor's kids kicked a soccer ball back and forth in the middle of the street. It was a quiet neighborhood, not much traffic, small-town life at its finest. His stomach gurgled hungrily as he watched a sparrow fly off with its morning meal. You have the right idea, my friend, he said to the empty room. He turned and gasped. Susan's side of the bed was covered in a thick, wet crimson patch. The sheets had been turned back. Several small drops of blood dappled the floor next to the nightstand. Susan? he shouted. Susan, where are you? He ran into the hall and saw another drop of blood a few feet from the bedroom door. Panting, he gazed at the dime-sized drop, afraid to follow the trail that had been left for him. The clock chimed in the living room, breaking him from his trance. He strode down the hall with purpose, gazing into the spare bedroom and looking down the stairs for signs of Susan's passing. Ted stopped in front of the bathroom door and looked at the bloody handprint smeared on the beige paint. Another spot had stained the carpet in front of the door. He listened for a second, hearing Susan's muffled sobs inside. Ted reached out to turn the knob but found it locked. Susan never locked the bathroom door. Most of the time she didn't even close it. Whether brushing her teeth, showering, or using the toilet, she was very open with her bathroom habits, something Ted didn't get used to for years. He still couldn't take a piss in a public restroom if he had company. The locked door was disconcerting. Susie, are you okay? Ted asked. I'm fine, she responded. Ted heard in her voice she was far from fine. Just go away. Susan, I can't do that, he said. You're bleeding. It's all over the bed. What's going on? I'm fine, she shouted. Can you please unlock the door so I can see for myself? No, she sobbed. Go away, please. Leave me alone. Baby, you can either unlock the door or I'm going to break it down. I don't want to do that, but you're not giving me a choice. He listened as Susan softly crossed the tile floor, sniffled, and unlocked the door. He didn't open it right away. He didn't want to barge in and scare her, but he was also scared for himself, unsure of what he'd find. Honey, I'm coming in now, okay? He waited for a response but didn't get one. He grabbed the doorknob, tacky with drying blood, slowly opened the door, and stepped inside. Jesus Christ, he thought as the air bled from his lungs. Susan sat in the bathtub, partially obscured by the shower curtain. The edge of the white porcelain was streaked with dark, fresh blood. 
Ted crossed the room in a single bound and pulled the curtain aside as Susan raised her hands to shield her face. She wore only her stained nightgown and one lone bedroom slipper. Susan, what's going on? Where are you hurt? When she looked up, his heart froze in his chest and shattered. The pain in her eyes said everything. It burrowed into his soul and shriveled it like old shoe leather. Suddenly he understood. It's dead, she screamed. Our baby is dead. Susan wailed until her voice faded to a raspy squeal. Tears poured from her face and streams of snot dangled from her nostrils. She wrapped her left hand in her thick, brown hair and tugged weakly. Her right hand rested on her belly, caressing the flesh where there'd once been life. Ted cried uncontrollably, unaware he'd begun. He looked at her stomach and groaned. For hours they'd sit together in bed, waiting patiently for the tiny life inside her to reach out its hand and make contact, to kick and thrash around, anticipating its escape into the bright and beautiful world beyond. Susan's screams were little more than a dull buzzing in the back of his brain. This couldn't be happening. Not to them. Ted reached out absently, needing to touch her, feel her warmth, know she was still alive. His world was turned upside down with those two simple but all-powerful words. It's dead. Ted hated referring to their baby as it, but they'd decided to keep the sex of the child a secret. What would it matter now? Would they still name their dead child just to have something written on its tombstone? What the fuck do people do, Ted thought. How can such questions exist in a sane world? When Susan felt her husband's fingers brush the flesh of her stomach, she gasped and hissed like she'd been burned. She grabbed his hand painfully and flung it away. Susan, let me help you, Ted croaked. Help me, she cried. Can you stop our baby from leaking out of me? Can you do that? You know I can't, he said. We need to get you to the hospital and make sure you're okay. Of course I'm not okay, she screeched. She swung an open hand and smacked Ted across the cheek with a loud slap. She screamed and slapped him again and again, over and over until her hand stung. Ted's cheeks were bright red and swollen. Susan's blood stained his flesh. I'm broken, she blurted. My womb isn't even fit enough for life. Stop talking that way, Ted scolded. What do you know? You didn't carry this baby for five months. You didn't feel it inside of you every second of every day. She rubbed her belly with both hands and whined miserably. There's nothing, she said. Nothing at all. Ted grabbed her chin harshly and turned her head so she was facing him. That doesn't mean I didn't love it too, he shouted. You know nothing, she raged. You couldn't possibly understand. Ted smacked her across the face and grabbed her by the shoulder, shaking her back and forth. Susan, please, he begged. Stop and take a breath. I'm not here to fight you. I love you. You know that, right? This isn't your fault. It's no one's fault. It happens all the time. You know it does. We were dealt a shitty hand. That's all. 
you can't blame yourself. She wanted to hit him again. Wanted to punch him in the face until blood streamed from his nose. Wanted to gouge out his eyes with her fingernails and tear at his flesh. Instead, she hugged him. She clutched onto him like a drowning woman, squeezing him, bellowing into his ear with rage and anger and undying grief. She cried on his shoulder until the well ran dry, and Ted cried with her. It was the hardest day of their lives. It tested their faith in the world and their faith in each other. Months passed when it looked certain they'd never survive this tragedy. Ted saw how she moped around the house, vacantly staring into corners. He was afraid he'd lost her for good. They walked on eggshells and passed with few words. They ate dinner in silence and often spent entire days apart, grieving in their own way. Susan preferred doing so privately. It was a year before things began returning to normal. Susan had become more like her old self. She laughed again. She left the house. They made love. Ted kindled that spark, slowly and carefully, giving her the space she needed and being there for her when that space became too much. They reached a balance, a place where life was once again worth living. Still, when the sun went down and the world filled with shadows, Ted would find her staring across the yard, lost in thought, far away. She'd smile thinly and grab his hand, but Ted knew she was still hurting. They both were. They never talked about trying again, not because they didn't want children, but because Susan was terrified of having the same result. She couldn't go through that loss again or it would consume her. Their love for each other would have to be enough. Ted's eyes shot open and he sat up stiffly. Did you say something? he asked. I said they're gone. Were you sleeping? I must have dozed off, he said. What's gone? Them, she pointed. Out there. The lights just vanished. He rubbed his eyes and gazed through Susan's open window. Gone? Where the hell did they go? Maybe if you'd stayed awake, you would have seen where they went, she said. How the hell can you sleep at a time like this? I just closed my eyes for a second, he said. It was more like ten fucking minutes. Ted winced at her tone and looked away. She immediately regretted snapping at him. I'm sorry, she said. That was uncalled for. Ted brushed it off and cleared his throat. Tell me what happened. They just disappeared, she whispered. Susan had a habit of whispering anything she deemed secretive. It didn't matter if they were alone in a locked room. If she thought a comment would make her sound silly or crazy, she'd whisper it, as if by doing so would negate the effect. They were there. They were getting closer. And then they just winked off. That doesn't make any sense, he grumbled. I didn't say it made sense, Susan retorted. I'm telling you what happened. They were there one minute, and then poof. Poof? You don't say. Oh, piss on you, Ted, she hissed. Don't make fun of me. No, Ted giggled. Poof is fine. He hung his head and chuckled. Asshole, she muttered. What do you want me to say, he asked. Maybe they couldn't find us, or they're going to call for help. 
Or maybe they won't be back at all. You're really being a Debbie Downer, you know that? A fucking Debbie Downer? Are you kidding me? We're trapped in a wrecked car, in the woods, in the rain, at night, and no one knows we're here. If my legs weren't pinned beneath the dash, I'd be doing fucking cartwheels. Now you're just being a bitch. I'm being a what? I'm being a bitch? Listen, I'm sorry, okay? I expected to be sitting in our cabin with our feet up and a chilled bottle of wine next to the bed. I'm sorry too, Susan said. I don't want to fight with you. Tell me one more time, Ted said, turning to his wife. There's nothing to tell. One minute they were getting closer, and then they were gone. I heard their voices, Ted, and when the lights disappeared, the voices went with them, like they'd never been there. But I heard them crunching through the brush. So did I, she nodded. Maybe it's some rednecks fucking with us. For God's sake, Susan exclaimed. Are you serious? You have a hell of a way of soothing my nerves. I'm just thinking out loud. Well, stop it. They sat in silence, listening to the rain beat on the roof. Ted's right leg was beginning to go numb. He knew if they didn't get out of this car by morning, the chances of walking away unscathed dwindled rapidly. The dash was cutting off blood flow below the knees. He shook his foot and couldn't feel his toes. I think we should try to get some sleep, he said. We're not going to figure this out if we're exhausted. Susan nodded and patted his thigh. It's a little after three, she said, glancing at her watch. The sun should be up in a few hours. Set your alarm, he said. We should be up by six or seven. Susan pressed a few buttons and set the alarm on her wristwatch. She couldn't wait for daylight. It may still be raining and overcast, but even gray light was better than none. Maybe it was some luminescent gas or something, she said. You know, like swamp gas? People are always reporting lights in the swamp. We're not in the swamp, Ted said. Just get some rest. No point racking your brain over it. Susan closed her eyes and fell asleep at once. The drive, the crash, the adrenaline. She didn't realize how tired she was. Ted listened to her quiet snores as he continued trying to free his leg from the crumpled steel beneath the dash. He twisted his ankle painfully and heard his jeans tear on a jagged piece of metal. Instantly, he was able to move his leg. Not much, but enough to give him hope and get the blood flowing again. He clenched his fists as the numbness turned to pins and needles, the blood-deprived nerves screaming as they woke. Ted smiled through the pain. It meant he was alive, one step closer to getting the hell out of there. Ted dreamed of their first weekend at Pine Lakes. They'd only been dating for a short time, but Susan agreed to go along. She wasn't big on nature and was even less thrilled with the idea of leaving modern amenities behind. Her parents weren't campers, and Susan had become a product of her time. That first weekend changed everything. The quiet rippling of the water on the lake, the soft sigh of the leaves in the trees, air so clean she felt as if she was experiencing it for the first time. The sun felt brighter, warmer, 
food tasted richer. The sex was absolutely primal. The resort wasn't the first time they'd made love, but it was the first time one of them didn't have to get up and sneak past sleeping parents. They stayed in bed that first day until afternoon, naked, basking in the freedom of seeing and feeling one another in a whole new way. Susan didn't want to leave. Pine Lakes had worked its magic, a magic that hadn't faded in twenty years. Ted was still envisioning that first vacation with his wife when he felt himself being shaken by a persistent hand. He wanted to retreat into the safety and warmth of his memory, but the shreds of his dream tore apart like smoke in the wind. He opened his eyes sleepily and yawned. His head pounded. It was the same feeling he had after a night of heavy drinking with friends. But this wasn't a hangover. This was his battered body's way of telling him to shit or get off the pot. Get up, Susan said, shaking him steadily. Come on, get your ass up. We slept through the alarm. Slept through it, Ted muttered. It's still pitch black out here. Yes, Captain Obvious, I see that. She held her arm up so Ted could see the display on her wristwatch. 8.14 a.m. After eight? That can't be right. He rubbed his eyes and peered into the forest. Thick fog had settled in the valley, a swirling white wall that enveloped the barracuda and danced around the black trunks of tall pine trees. A distant wail cut through the mist and froze the blood in Ted's veins. He held his breath, waiting for the sound to be repeated. What in God's name was that? he asked. That's the third time I heard it, Susan said. Her voice trembled. Why isn't it light, Ted? Why? It's after eight. The sky should be bright. The birds should be chirping. I don't know, he said. Your watch is obviously wrong. Why do you have to rationalize everything? Susan shouted. Something strange is going on and you know it. All I know for sure is that I have to piss like a racehorse, he groaned. Could you please not minimize this? I'm not minimizing anything, he said. We saw a few lights and heard a dog howling. It's not time to call the Inquirer. A howling dog? That's what you think it was? I've never heard a dog sound like that in my life. A wild dog. You're ridiculous. It wasn't a dog. The shriek came again, and even Ted had to admit it wasn't a dog. He never heard something quite like it. It began like the deep hum of a distant foghorn and quickly rose in pitch, becoming a blood-curdling scream that tapered off to nothing. Through the mist, Ted was positive he heard faint laughter, but he kept it to himself. He gripped the steering wheel and held on tight. Susan blew a whistling breath through her teeth, eyes darting from shadow to shadow. There, she whispered. Susan pointed through the broken windshield at a faint point of light twenty yards away. It grew brighter as they watched it rise from the forest floor, weaving through the branches, casting a dim glow on the rotting bark of a dying elm tree. The strange light cast a dim halo of bluish-white light that illuminated patches of the surrounding trees. Susan gasped as several pairs of glowing orange eyes opened and watched them from the canopy. The eyes were moving, blinking, she covered her mouth with both hands and whined deep in her throat, watching as the sets of eyes were joined by others. Jesus Christ, Ted said. 
What the hell is that? The same strange moaning howl broke the silence yet again, this time much closer. The ball of light reacted to the sound, first growing in intensity and then fading as the scream ebbed to nothing. The sets of glowing eyes watched them, getting lower as they descended through the trees. Susan started crying and yanking at her legs in an attempt to free herself. Ted reached out and grabbed her arm, and Susan responded by slapping at his hand fearfully. She whirled on him and raised a hand to ward off her attacker, pulling her punch at the last second. Ted shook his head side to side and raised his index finger in front of his lips. Susan choked back a sob and closed her eyes, trying to gain comfort from Ted's touch. The glowing eyes were coming closer, surrounding the wrecked car as the ball of light was joined by another. Susan closed her eyes and muttered, refusing to believe what she was seeing. She and Ted heard the soft crunch of dead leaves as the shapes approached. A branch snapped loudly ten feet in front of the car, and Susan gasped, grabbing Ted's hand painfully. Her palm was slicked with sweat, her skin hot. Ted watched as one of the shapes stopped at the Cuda's crushed bumper and sniffed at the pool of antifreeze that had leaked from the ruined engine. Loud, wet snuffling came from outside Susan's door as two large, glowing eyes peered in at them through the passenger window. The balls of light dimmed as the strange, warbling moan began again. A second moan joined the first creating a haunting harmony like two ships calling to one another in a fog bank. The lights brightened at the call's apex and dimmed as the cry faded. Ted's mind raced, flooded with stimuli it couldn't process. One of the shadows uttered a short yip and bounded into the forest as another growled deeply, brushing against the car with a thumping hiss. What are they? Susan cried. Oh my God, what are they, Ted? I don't know, he whispered. Just stay quiet. She buried her face in her arm and wiped snot on the soft fabric of the sweatshirt. Her body thrummed with terrified energy as the shapes surrounded the car in an ever-tightening circle, like sharks around an injured seal. Suddenly, the fog came alive with blue light and Ted squeezed his eyes shut against the glare. The things surrounding the vehicle cried out in irritation as their cover of darkness vanished. The haunting bray echoed across the forest floor as the woods glowed with an ethereal light. Ted listened as the creatures scrambled in the dead leaves, crunching away into the forest as they screamed their displeasure at being interrupted. Ted opened his eyes as the light slowly dimmed. He watched transfixed as the two balls of light descended to the forest floor. He gasped and held a hand over his mouth as he saw the newest arrivals crowding the woods. Through the fog were dozens of figures, human shapes, silhouettes of all sizes, standing in groups and separately by the gnarled trunks of old growth. They didn't approach. They simply watched. The balls of light winked out, plunging the forest into darkness once again. Susan lifted her head and squinted into the gloom, wiping tears from her eyes and exhaling a shaky breath. The forest had gone back to its unnatural blackness. Susan hadn't seen the human figures, and for that Ted was thankful, 
He had an empty feeling in the pit of his stomach. For nearly twenty years he had protected Susan as much as he could from what life had to throw at them. But this was entirely different. How could he protect her from something he didn't understand? Ted pried his hand from hers, shaking out the pain that crept into his fingers from Susan's grip. What the hell was going on? What were they? Susan asked. What in God's name just happened? I don't have a clue, Ted replied. But now we know we're not alone. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.